Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPEL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can also send a message to the KPEL app chat if you want to take part in the conversation there. Be glad to chat with you on either platform, either through our phone, through the app chat, or you can reach me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Uh, you can also find me uh, by email, joe at redstate.com. Plenty of ways to be able to uh, reach out and converse with me during and after the show. So I spent the weekend, uh, uh, I spent the weekend actually having been kicked in the face by uh, that sinus infection that uh, kept me out on Thursday. I came back on Friday, but it apparently got worse over the weekend. So I struggled with that. Uh, And so I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the goings on of the world. Uh, And I I watched football. I watched World Cup soccer. I did not, however, really pay attention to uh, the politics of the moment, particularly when it came to yesterday. So I saw a lot of a lot of headlines saying Trump called for the suspension of the Constitution. I had no idea. Like, it, it seemed crazy to me. It seemed like one of those headlines that the media would write. Uh, they, they took something Trump said and they extrapolated too much from it in order to make it as bad a headline about Trump as possible. I legitimately, my first reaction was a double take, like, there's no way. Because as much as he said that I've disagreed with and as much as he said that I think he should walk back, There's no way he actually did that, right? And then this morning, people were still talking about it. I went and I looked it up. It was a post on his Truth Social Network. This was actually him. This is not Photoshop. This is not edited in any way. This is what he wrote. So, with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception in working closely with big tech companies, the DNC, and the Democrat Party, do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner, or do you have a new election? A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Our great founders did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. So no... Trump did not call for the suspension of the Constitution. In fact, he's laying out the case for the absolute termination of the Constitution because he feels that the 2020 election was stolen from him. And I'm not going to have the stolen election argument today. Not going to do it. Don't have the energy. Still on cold meds. But... Historically... He's incorrect. The founders did not want false and stolen elections, but the founders were also deeply aware of roving gangs of folks that would force voters to vote a certain way, that would go to multiple municipalities and vote. There were plenty of ways that elections could be fraudulently held, and they were. Election fraud, voter fraud, happens every election cycle. And every election cycle, 
municipalities and jurisdictions come up with ways to fight back against it. But they knew it existed. It was not something new. It was not something different. The founders knew it existed. And my my colleague at Red State Strife had a brilliant point on this the other day when he wrote about this. The fact of the matter is that the founders knew election fraud and voter fraud was a possibility, but they did not address it in any way in the Constitution. Now, why would that be the case? Well, here's the point that Strife makes at Red State. The founders would not have wanted false or fraudulent elections, but they were also realists who knew that in the late 18th century America, election fraud was a way of life. If you haven't read a lot about the early republic and roving bands of voters, why uh, why do you think a specific election day made its way into the Constitution? You should give research a try. The very fact that the founders did not make provisions for redoing elections tainted by fraud is a strong indicator that they valued the finality of the process over lengthy wrangling over results. The founders knew election fraud existed. However, in order for the system to stand and to work, you cannot suspend the system while you work these things out. The Constitution has a clear series of steps that you take to certify an election, and then you move on. If you lost one, even if it was to fraud, you go ahead and you make sure that it doesn't happen the next time. The finality of the process keeps stability in the system. You may not like it, you may not agree with who won, but that is the way the system is set up. The problem is that the 2022 elections have clearly shown us that the voters are ready to move on and that evidence has been there for at least a year. I've mentioned this several times. Ahead of the Virginia gubernatorial election, both parties had done polling on the January 6th riot. And both parties got the same result. A majority of voters wanted Congress to investigate fully what happened on January 6th. And both parties drew different conclusions from it. The Democrats drew the conclusion that voters still cared deeply about Trump and his attempt to overturn the election, so they needed to harp on it. Republicans drew the uh, assumption that voters were ready to move on. They wanted Congress to get done with it, come to their conclusion, and move on. And the Republicans were right in that analysis, and Republicans were able to sweep statewide offices in Virginia because they, those Republicans would not be tied to Donald Trump. They would not be tied to January 6th. They saw the issues that were taking uh, precedent in Virginia. They campaigned on that, and they won. Fast forward to the 2022 midterms, a lot of Republicans seem to have not learned that lesson. A lot of Republicans still ran closely tied to Trump, still closely uh, tied to the claims about 2020 being stolen. And those claims, even if they talked about the other issues of the campaign, those claims far outweighed what voters perceived or in the voters perception, the 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 talking points of the moment. 
Voters were and are still concerned about inflation, the economy, crime, immigration, etc. And if you were a Republican candidate in a tight race who was focused on 2020, Donald Trump, etc., if you didn't lose, you ran several points behind the Republican. But the majority of them lost. Very few of those in tight races won. And it's because voters were ready to move on and those politicians were seen as unable to. As of right now, the Republican Party has one declared candidate for 2024, and that is Donald J. Trump, the former president of the United States. And the Republican Party has some politicians who have come out and said, this is foolish, you cannot suspend the Constitution over something like this. But the majority of the party and its leadership are silent on it. In the past, the GOP could ignore Donald Trump and the things he said, the things he did, because of two things. The first was the fact that his administration actually did some good. He, they, they did some good conservative Republican things, things that the conservative base liked, things that the Republicans had been trying to do for a while. The second thing that made it easier to ignore Donald Trump was the fact that the base was largely behind him. Both of those have changed now. Trump is no longer in office. Trump has been out of office for two years. And the base is starting to fracture. There are people who still like Donald Trump, but new polling that's coming out is showing that they are shifting to Ron DeSantis. They are shifting elsewhere. The base is no longer unified behind Trump. And Trump is no longer in office to do things that can outweigh the things he's saying. So now the GOP has a choice. Do they continue to ignore Trump and hope that he goes away? Or do they push back on some of these ridiculous and crazy things that he's saying? 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation, let's go ahead and take a break. You can also chat via the app chat. We'll be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can also send a message through the KPL app chat. Would love to hear from you. What's interesting to me, and, and this is me kind of shifting a little bit, um, this is less my opinion and just more observation and analysis here. Here's how I know things are shifting a little bit among the GOP base. I write for redstate.com. I, I also write for kpl965.com, but I don't do my political commentary and stuff there. I do my political stuff at Red State. I also cross-post it to my Substack, where you can also go joecunninghamshow.substack.com and sign up for the newsletter where you get those columns and my show notes, everything like that. But I write on that website. I comment on Twitter. I comment on social media. I read other sites. I have friends across conservative media. I read what they write, read the comments on their stuff. A year ago, if I had written what I just said on the air today, uh, the entire comment section of Red State would have risen up and, and declared that the corporate overlords there set me on fire. And that is not what's happening today. 
Uh, mine is not the only column on this. I, I mentioned my buddy Strife, uh, who writes at Red State. Uh, there's another writer at Red State, a guy named Mike, who also uh, wrote on the subject. And I look at the comments section there, and uh, and Mike's post was uh, even harsher on Trump than than I was, and and I focused mostly on the GOP needing to say something, needing to move on. He focused specifically on Trump. And curiously, the comments are kind of divided. Nobody's super angry about what we've written. It's more frustration and disappointment. And... It leads me to believe, because the the most fierce of Trump supporters are people who read the commentary online, read the read the columns and everything like that online, and they have these statements, they have uh, these strong opinions about Trump and things related to Trump, that they are not as energized in defense of what Trump wrote over the weekend and of Trump lately leads me to believe that that star is not falling yet, but wavering. And I'm, it's a curious moment because there was a, it was very difficult to imagine a time when there would not be a very, very vocal segment of, the, of online comment sections that were not lighting things on fire in defense of Trump. And you're not seeing that as much after this weekend. And really... After the last few weeks, it's anecdotal. It's not specific. It's not polling data, anything like that. It's just anecdotal based on my observations, having written words on the Internet for 10 years now, of the way that these comment sections and these online types work. Most of you out there listening probably read a lot of these sites, and you've probably seen a lot of these comment sections. And in some cases, some of these comment sections may be lighting things on fire. But there is a shift, a noticeable shift in a lot of them as well. All right, 232-1542. We've got a little bit of time before we take a break. Let's jump to Warren on the line. Warren, how are you today? Hey, Joe. How's it going, man? Going pretty good. You're you, uh, all right. You're not related to the Cunningham that was the air ace in the Air Force in Vietnam? Not that I know of. Okay. Um, I want to tell you, uh, I'm probably going to go register independent because what, what we're seeing, Joe, you know, when you start grooming kids and some of the stuff that's going on, what we're seeing is the politicians and a bunch of our Republicans is in on this. They have turned the world into... Lucifer's vision of humanity. That's what they're doing right now as we speak. And and it's because a lot of Republicans are not Republicans. And if Donald Trump is not going to be in it, I probably won't even participate in the process, Joe. Okay. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of people, Warren, that feel that way. And thank you very much for the call. And I... That's that's the kind of thing that I think the Republican Party has to deal with. 
there is a group of people who are center-right who will never vote Trump. And there's a group of people, center-right, who will only vote Trump. And that's the, the sticky posi- that's the, that's the, that's the sticky situation that the GOP is in right now. How do you navigate between those two? They have to figure it out. I don't have any answers on that one. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, religious liberty is up against uh, the, it's up against the force. It's up against uh, the Supreme Court today. They had a hearing. Let's talk about that when we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk ninety six point five KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk ninety six point five KPL two three two fifteen forty two. If you want to be part of the conversation, uh, so for about two and a half hours today, a hearing before the Supreme Court. Uh, is the latest test for religious liberty in the United States. If you recall, uh, a few years ago, you had the case of Masterpiece Cake Shop run by Jack Phillips, who refused to uh, do a special, a, a custom wedding cake for a gay wedding, and for a same-sex wedding, and uh, was taken before Colorado's uh, Civil Rights Board, and... They went after him very hard, shut down his business, uh, made it impossible for him to run his business. He took it all the way to the Supreme Court and won on very narrow grounds. It was not the conservative majority on the court that it is now. And they basically said that the Civil Rights Commission in Colorado erred by basically calling him a Nazi. That was more or less the the ruling there. Uh, They... they, uh, by showing bias against his religious beliefs, they screwed up. Not whether or not a person has the right to uh, refuse service based on religious belief. Here we are uh, a few years later, and now we have the case of 303 Creative. 303 Creative is run by, uh, what is her name? Uh, Lori Smith, website designer. Lori Smith is an evangelical Christian and was approached by a same-sex couple who wanted a website designed for their same-sex wedding. And part of the website, the, the, it was going to be uh, a declaration of the, equality, of, of the equality of marriage and all that, etc. And Smith said, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. That violates my religious belief. I will not commit to doing this work that violates a core tenet of my belief. And so, once again, an evangelical Christian who, uh, doctrine of vocation, uh, re- expressed their religious faith, expressed their Christian faith through the work they do, taken before the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and they started going after her. That case has now made it to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is not actually listening to the case on religious liberty grounds. It's a religious liberty case, but the focus is on freedom of speech. So same amendment, freedom of religion, freedom to practice your religion. No, it was freedom of speech, freedom to practice your religion, but a different way of looking at it. The court basically said, we're not going to look at it through this religious liberty lens. We're going to look at it from the speech angle. And the idea that the left and the right are arguing on on the court is, for starters, whether or not denying 
this type of service is equivalent to denying someone a service based on their race. That's what the left is trying to equivocate here. Is denying somebody this service the same as denying them this service because you claim that your religious belief prevents you from doing this for a black person? That's the argument that's being made. Uh, One of the arguments, one of the liberal justices said, what about the photographer that wants a nice picture and refuse uh, the, 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 the mall photographer in front of the Santa Claus display? What if they don't want to, what if because it ruins the aesthetic, they don't want to take a child, a picture of a black child sitting on Santa's lap, you know, something, something ridiculous like that. Um, but that was, uh, that was the base, the back and forth in today's arguments. And the Colorado solicitor general did not do a good job, was, was caught stuttering and stumbling through a lot of the claims here. The media is, of course, running with it as this is a threat to gay rights. This is a threat to the LGBT rights. And the right is saying this is somebody who has the right to express their religion, express their faith as part of their speech. And part of their speech is you cannot compel me to say something I don't believe. You cannot compel me on a website that I designed to say that I believe X. We've gotten to this point, and in, in, it's happening in Colorado for a reason. Colorado's Civil Rights Commission is one of the most ardently anti-Christian ones out there. Not only did they take the Jack Phillips case, but the moment the case was over, the moment the case against Jack Phillips was over, the Supreme Court made its decision, somebody else walked in. And try to do something similar. And he had to go back to court because of it. Because the activists are specifically coming after him there. The activists specifically coming after Lori Smith in Colorado. They are choosing evangelical Christian business owners to compel this speech. To compel this work. This is not a case of... The the uh, conservatives are scared of gay weddings. It's not it at all. Jack Phillips, for example, offered the gay couple that originally came into his shop, offered them a pre-made cake. You can have one of these pre-made wedding cakes decorated how you want. But because he didn't choose, because he chose not to do a custom one, he refused to do a custom one for them because of his religious relief, they filed a complaint. Because Lori Smith refused to create a website that had a particular message that goes against her faith, she's being taken before the Civil Rights Commission and is now going up to the Supreme Court. Can you use the government to compel speech from somebody on something that they don't believe that goes against their religion to believe? It is very dangerous ground. Not for the reason that the left would say this is not some slippery slope to going after interracial marriage or anything like that. This is not a slippery slope to denying service to blacks or anybody else of any other race. This is a slippery slope to compelled speech to things you don't believe in. It doesn't have to be religious. 
if you don't say what the mob wants you to say, they can use the force of government against you. That's what they're going for here. And that is problematic. Because at the end of the day, the very idea of freedom of speech is that you have the right to say what you believe and what you think. Now, there are certain limitations to it, as the Supreme Court has already stated. You cannot uh, incite people to violence. You cannot... Uh, you, you you cannot uh, for you, you cannot knowingly lie about somebody to ruin their reputation. You have limits to what you can and can't say. But there's a difference between putting limits on what you can and can't say, or putting limits on what you can say versus compelling somebody to say something. And the compelling is the problem in this case. And it's extremely dishonest for reporters. I mean, Politico, Politico is one of those. A Supreme Court hears case that could undercut LGBT rights. No, it isn't. The Supreme Court is not hearing a case that could undercut LGBT rights. The Supreme Court is hearing a case over whether or not somebody can be compelled to say something. It's a completely different issue. And we're having these fights. We're having these fights because the left has moved so aggressively to shut down dissent that they're now overreaching. And this sort of overreaching is the exact sort of thing that gets moderates to look at the Republican Party and say, I might have to go with them. Because the left wants to move so far to the left, and it really worries moderate voters, voters who don't want to be compelled or don't want the risk of being compelled to say or state something that they don't necessarily believe just because the loudest voices wish for it. But then by the same token, the moderates turn around and they see the Republican Party and they see their only declared candidate saying, we need to terminate the Constitution and put me back in office. And all of a sudden, the too far left doesn't look too far left. So again, the Republicans have a problem here. But you're going to hear, if you listen to any mainstream outlet, you're going to hear a lot of misinformation, a lot of uh, dishonest framing about the 303 creative case. The fact of the matter is, this is, a, this is about compelled speech. Whether or not somebody can be forced to say something if they're hired by somebody to do it. That's where we are. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. When we come back, LSU, what happened this weekend and why is everybody complaining? Have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. You can also send a message through the KPL app chat. Um... Real quick, something you need to know. Uh, you heard Jeff Landry on Moon's show last week. 
and he talked about the deposition of Anthony Fauci in the uh, in in the the multi state suit on COVID. Uh, another one of the attorneys general that were involved in that, Eric Schmidt of Missouri, has released the entire transcript of that deposition. So if you want to hear what Fauci said or want to see what he said, rather, if you go to redstate.com, uh, my boss there, Jennifer Van Lahr, has posted uh, uh, Missouri Attorney General Schmidt releases entire transcript of Fauci deposition. You can go and see that there if you're interested to know what Tony Fauci said. All right, before we get out of here, uh, I have some thoughts on sports this weekend. First of all, congratulations to Team USA. Uh, it. It wasn't a great defensive game for the team. Uh, Netherlands was very technical and did a very good job, but there were a lot of defensive miscues that led to those three goals that they scored against Team USA. Uh, But Team USA was, I think, the third youngest team in the World Cup and did a pretty good job with the talent that they had. There was some talent that didn't get played a lot. The the questions about coaching, I think, are some of the more valid questions there are. Uh, If you watched football this weekend... Uh, LSU losing 50-30 to in the SEC title game. That one was weird to me, not because of the game, but the reaction to it. There was a headline that was trending on Newsbreak. Um, college football world blasts Brian Kelly after brutal LSU loss. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if anyone in college football world, whatever that phrase means expected LSU to win in the first place. Uh, because if you if you look at it going in, LSU shouldn't even been in that game in the first place, much less had a, a shot of winning. And they made it there. They 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 defied the odds. They made it to the SEC title game and they scored more against Georgia than any other team that Georgia played this year. And Jaden Daniels was not 100% healthy. And there were those two bizarre turnovers. Uh, you had the, the blocked field goal that LSU special teams did not realize was a live ball situation. And so Georgia ran that back for a touchdown. And then you had the really oddball interception where the ball bounced off the helmet of the LSU receiver and Georgia intercepted it. But, you know, it wasn't a perfect game from LSU, and there are a lot of things they still need to work on. Special teams should not be where it is right now for an SEC team like LSU. But Brian Kelly came in and took a team that was expected to do 6-6 at best, brought them to 9-3 and and took them to the SEC title game, beat Alabama, had some impressive wins on the year, had some missteps, had a really embarrassing showing against Texas A&M. But LSU defied all odds. And this gets back to something that, you know, talked about earlier in the season. The fact that so many people in Louisiana were very willing to reject Brian Kelly outright. He's not from here. He's not an SEC guy. He was never an SEC guy. He's a Notre Dame guy. You're not the winningest coach at Notre Dame without having some skill. 
And you can say, well, Notre Dame's never really had a really tough schedule. They've played some tough teams under Brian Kelly's watch. And then he came here to Baton Rouge and was able to show that that coaching experience really paid off because he was able to make personnel changes and drastically improve from the first game to the second and kept on improving. And there were a lot of good moments for LSU. And now he can take that. He can turn that around and say, here's the, here's what we did. Here's where we're growing. And it really just sucks. It really does that somebody who was able to do that is that you're still going to have, I mean, it's, it's always the case in Louisiana. The moment LSU loses, the everybody comes out from the woodwork and says, we got to fire this guy and find somebody new. No. We should have fired Ed Orgeron much sooner, but still, for the most part, most of the time that they come out and say, we need to fire this guy, it's completely unwarranted. Brian Kelly did a good job. Cannot begrudge him that 50-30 loss when they outperformed the expectations there. Good on LSU. Congratulations for having a good season. Then, of course, you have tonight. Tonight, you have the Saints taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You have a physical train wreck in the Saints versus the emotional train wreck that is uh, Tom Brady's love life. Go Saints. We uh we should we should root for the Louisiana team, but at this point, uh at this point you just you just pray that, that nobody ends up uh ends up seriously hurt on the field. Like the best you can hope for is that everybody just comes out of it healthy because it, it's it's not been a great year for the Saints and that we really just need the season to be over with so we can start over, try to start over fresh. I have no idea what the solution for the Saints is, but it's not whatever we've got right now. Anyway, that's it from me on sports. Thank you all for listening in. I'm going to be back in 23 hours. In the meantime, catch me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Sign up for the show notes, my daily columns at joecunninghamshow.substack.com. Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.